Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It's April the 21st, 2022. We're well into spring, and spring, I'm told, is the season of love. We've done some shows recently on love, directly and indirectly. Did a show last week with the uh, prolific, very popular American uh, writer, Mary Laura Philpott. She has a new collection of essays out, Bomb Shelter, Love Time and Other Explosives. She treats love as a very explosive subject, although she doesn't deal with the erotic elements of love. She was, um, uh, it was a great conversation with her. She presents, I guess, love almost like a tortoise. Uh, and then also last week, at the other end of the spectrum, I talked to the American journalist, Christine Ember. She has a new book out, Rethinking Sex, which is uh, all about sex. And she argues, um, in uh, in the in the conversation that we're not having enough sex because we don't love enough the L word I was looking it up this morning there's a section in Wikipedia of all places on love and lots of lots of definitions and that's the subject of our conversation uh, this morning it's a conversation about love with the author of a wonderful new book on Love, appropriately entitled Conversations on Love, Lovers, Strangers, Parents, Friends, Endings, Beginnings with the London-based uh, writer Natasha Lund, who is um, joining us from the North London suburb of Islington. Um, happy spring, Natasha. Thank you. Thanks very much for having me. Is, uh, is spring, is April the best time to love, do you think? Well, I think um, there's no right time for anyone. It depends on a bit of luck and a bit of hope. But um, I certainly was always feeling a bit more hopeful about love in the springtime and summertime, especially uh, actually a lot of people I've interviewed who do online dating told me they always had much more luck in the spring and summer. That's interesting. Well, before we start, let's let's do our definitions. As I said, well, you always seem to be talking about love, but no one really defines it very carefully. There's a Wikipedia entry, lots of definitions on the online dictionary. But how, uh, Natasha, would you define the word love? Well, I guess this is why I started this whole project and wrote the book, because if you'd have asked me that question um, even 10, 15 years ago, I would have had a very different answer. And I think I used to define love very much as romantic love, as something that would happen to you and as something that you had to sort of passively wait for. Um, and I think the journey I've gone on and, and everything I've learned from this project is now I see love as much more of a daily choice we make to try and reach people. Um, so something much more active, something that takes a lot of work from us and requires us to set aside our ego rather than patiently wait around for somebody to fall in love with us. So perhaps you might have, just as uh, Christine Amber called her book Rethinking Sex, you might have entitled your book, which has already got a great title, uh, Conversations on Love, uh, Rethinking Love. Why do we want it so much? Or why do some of us, Natasha, want love so much? Well, I would argue that it's not some. I mean, I don't think I have come across anybody 
who doesn't want love in some way. And I guess another way that my definition had changed is thinking about love beyond just a romantic relationship. So thinking about love as something you find in friendship with yourself, maybe in purposeful work, maybe, you know, even through this podcast might be a form of love for you, something that you pour a lot of time and energy into and makes you feel seen and understood, um, you know, with siblings, with parents, so many different kinds. So I, I haven't yet, I don't know about you, I haven't met a human who is not looking or or wanting love in some way. Yeah, I, I wouldn't necessarily disagree, but we still have to define it. We did a show... Um... We've talked a lot about the L word. We've also talked a lot about the E word, empathy. Did a show a couple of years ago with Sherry Turkle, one of uh, one of the most popular writers around these days. I think she resonates particularly with other female writers in and out of the tech community um, who writes about empathy. Is love, uh, is love and empathy, are they the same things? There are all these words that are sort of circling around that we use all the time. Um, is love at the pinnacle? Is empathy below that or are they all connected? Well, I don't think they're the same thing, but I think love requires empathy. I think actually, um, you know, it requires you to see outside of yourself and to put yourself in somebody else's perspective and try and understand them. And actually, I think a lot of the problems arise in love because it's it can be really difficult to do that, to kind of, you know, I think that in a relationship, you can't come at it from thinking, I'm right, I want this, or I saw a fight that way, or this happened the way that I saw it. You have to constantly be listening to somebody else's view of a situation, even though it might be completely different from yours. And that requires a lot of empathy. So I don't think they're the same thing, but definitely I don't think that love is possible without empathy. Tell me, uh, Natasha, about this project. Um... You have a website, you've done a lot of conversations on love. Now you have this new book, Conversations on Love. How did you develop it? Did it come out of, did the book itself come out of discrete conversations that you um, just added up and began to put into a book? Well, not discrete uh, conversations. It began... um, When I say discrete, I mean not um, secret. I mean uh, uh, independent, separate private well it began really i started a new email newsletter on mailchimp um interviewing kind of authors and therapists about love and at that stage it was just very general um you know some people said to me oh you'll run out of steam after a year or so you know that you'll be asking the same things again and again and the answers will get repetitive but i sort of set out thinking oh i don't know where it's going to go and i started it because i was sort of embarrassed i guess and a little ashamed of how much I had misunderstood love and how many mistakes I've made in love and almost how egotistical I've been only thinking about wanting to find someone to love me rather than what it takes to love another person and and what it means to give love. So I started interviewing people like that, I think over five years, over five years ago now. And I was um, amazed to find, I got a lot of replies from subscribers to the newsletter and I interviewed people from Esther Perel, to Alan de Botton, and to Ariel Levy. And all of the emails started to fall into these three sections. So it was either people looking for love or trying to sustain love, whether that be with friends or family. And then a big portion of people who were emailing me were trying to find a way to carry on after losing love. 
So I sort of started to get all these emails and I thought, hang on here, rather than just talking about love as a topic, it would be really interesting to explore those three individual questions and then look at how they come together as a whole. Why do you think people like talking about love? It seems to be a preoccupation that many people have, not everybody, but it's it's a popular kind of conversation. Is it self-therapy? Is it like religion? Has it replaced religion, perhaps, in a way? Well, I think that there's still some people who are really afraid to talk about love, actually, um, in, in any detail. And I think we do talk about love um, as a subject a lot. And, you know, it's obviously the subject of films and books. But I think that we don't always talk about it in depth or with as much reverence as we would maybe our health or our careers. Um, I certainly know that, you know, I would look at my New Year's resolutions at the beginning of a year and think, right, I want to get fit and here's the time I'm going to put into that, my health, and maybe I want to progress at work and here's, I'm going to ask for a six-week review and I'm going to try and ask for a pay rise, I'm going to do this. And I never really looked at love and relationships in the same way, and I actually don't think that many of us do. Um, And this is what's changed for me with this project is I've just realised as well as talking about it and loving watching films about it and reading books, we also need to take it more seriously in terms of actively devoting time to it and accepting that it's something that we need to practice and we need to be more conscious about learning. Um, Because if we don't, it can kind of easily fall off, fall to the wayside and, and not get as much of our attention. I don't know. Are you, are you quite intentional about, dedicating time to love and and learning about it i wouldn't say so i mean i because I, i'm not entirely sure what it means mm. maybe that's that's why i keep on asking you i mean to me there's i guess there's a that's what i spent the whole book trying to do but to me it means trying to move through the world in a way that you are trying to understand people and they are trying to understand you in the hopes of connecting as truthfully as you can is what love means to me. But that could be equally about citizenship, collaboration, creativity. But I would argue all those things involve love. And actually a lot of the um, interviews I've done in the book, there was one person who really talked about writing and that creativity as a form of love because exactly like meeting the definition I've just given it was something that made her feel seen it was something that made her feel understood it gave her a sense of purpose and it really made her feel connected to something outside of herself and I guess that's something I would add to the definition too it's like love for me is something that makes me reminds me that we're all part of something bigger and that we're not just kind of individual people walking around with individual missions. Actually, we're small pieces of a whole. And, and that's, that's the feeling that you get. That togetherness is love to me. It's interesting you mentioned that. I did an interview earlier this week with Matt Richtel, San Francisco-based uh, New York Times writer on tech. He has a new book out called Creativity, uh, Inspired in Understanding Creativity, And he says that most of us are terrified of being creative because it requires too much commitment, too much um, sacrifice emotionally. 
Um, too much vulnerability. Is that true, do you think, also of love, that many of us are scared of it because it makes us vulnerable? I, I think, well, certainly from my um, experience, I always thought that I was really open to love and chasing it and, and obsessed with it in many ways. But I now you mean realize... with love towards, say, an a p- emotional partner as opposed to parental or love based on exactly. friendship? So like I was saying to you, my early definition of love was just like basically trying to find a partner. That was all that was all I was um, obsessing over. And at that time, I think I I thought that I was being really open to love. But really, I was exactly, as you said, just very scared of being vulnerable. And when it got to a stage of of, of intimacy that might require me to um, be myself and, and drop some masks and drop those sort of pretenses you carry at the beginning of a relationship. I found it very difficult to do that. And I, and I wrote about that in my book, um, the way I couldn't really ever get past the starting point of a relationship and find a way to be honest and how I was really just trying to bend my personality into a different shape in order to make a relationship work, which of course um, was never a successful uh, attempt. And I have been amazed by the amount of people who have said, this is exactly how I am in relationships. And a lot of the letters and emails I receive are from people who do exactly the same thing. So I think you're completely right. Vulnerability is terrifying in love. And there's just no way to get around the potential risk of rejection that's always going to be there. And so I think, you know, not just rejection, but I think we're really afraid of being alone. And being vulnerable can feel like a, a risk in the beginning stages of a relationship. Well, it did for me. What about the history of love, Natasha? Uh, I've always understood, and I'm certainly no expert on this, that love is very much of a modern phenomenon. It sort of it, it became popular, acquired popular popular imagination, particularly in the age of the novel. Um, has there always been love? Do you think of the love that you write about, or is it a, a particular? feature of modernity of our urban industrial societies i think there's always been love and actually one of my um in one of my interviews with alan de Botto, we talk about he, he was actually saying how um aristotle like there was actually kind of a moral prioritizing of like friendship love and mm. we kind of it's he said it's almost like a tragic thing that in our society we've almost put friendship love to the bottom in in some ways or, or prioritize romantic love above it um and we talked also about lots of different types of love exactly as we were saying like love in that kind of collaboration and community um love in in this sort of there's a word for it i, I forget it now i can look it up afterwards but it's almost like you had for your co- your comrades and your it's almost like brotherly love but there was all these different um types of it that were talked about and written about so I think that it's always been there I think obviously the way that it's portrayed in popular culture changed a lot of things and that's obviously more modern but yeah I mean when I interviewed somebody I think they gave me a really good question and I was saying like when did you first you know in the history of your life when did you first become interested in love and he said well can you separate love from anything else and I think that's really true. I think so many of the things we do, we think are completely separate from love are actually rooted in it. 
What about social media, Natasha? I know you talk about this and you operate on social media. We did a show. We've done so many shows on the impact of social media and the internet on our culture. We did a show recently with the writer Dan Brooks, who argues that social media might be simultaneously destroying comedy and morality. I think he would probably go on to say love. He wrote a um, uh, an, an interesting FT piece about social media having fully weaponized morality. Is social media, to borrow this headline, fully weaponized love? Has it changed our manifestation of love, our sense of it, our searching for it? Well, if you're including, I guess if we're saying like the digital, including like dating apps in social media, then... Yeah, I mean, the whole the whole digital revolution from dating apps to Facebook to Tinder to every other manifestation of our online persona. Yeah, I mean, of course, there's no way that um, our relationships and how we meet could not be affected by that. I think for me personally, for instance, I met my husband on a dating app and I don't think that there's any way actually that we would have met. Which app? Um, it was called Happen. I don't know if it's big over there, um, but this was a while ago now. It was kind of, it's the one where you cross paths. So mm. you put in your locations and then it shows you sort of who you've crossed paths with that day. Um, so I often go on these podcasts and people speak quite negatively about the effect of online dating on relationships. And then I always say, well, <laughs> it turned out pretty good for me. Um, so for me... I, you know, and, and a lot of people I know who met online, actually it was just, it ends up being just a different way that you were able to facilitate meeting somebody. Um, and it was, you know, I dated a lot of friends of friends and I kind of almost run out of people I could date within my social circles. And I didn't have time to go to a bar every night trying to meet someone. So actually technology was amazing in that respect, that it gave me a bit more um, just opportunity. I know that um, some people have had really negative experiences. So like anything, it's um, you still need a bit of luck. What about the role of young people um, in love and sex? As I said, we did a show with Christine Ember, Rethinking Sex. She argues that particularly sort of online pornography and the the easy access to sex has meant that young people, at least in America, in the research she's done, are missing love. Is there anything in it or is it just an American phenomenon? Well, I would say the people, I haven't interviewed many young people, so I don't, I, I'm afraid I can't answer with any authority. I'm surprised. Why not? I, I would have thought that young people in particular would have uh, been an important source of information and knowledge about love. I think, uh, obviously, the way my book's structured, I'm interviewing a lot of, like, therapists um and experts and you know in the world of therapists it takes a long long time to train so there aren't many young young therapists um available and tend to be a lot of the clients who they're seeing are older um so it maybe that can be another book in the future or something that i explore going forward do you get a sense though that and, and this is something certainly that uh, christine ember argues that there's a spiritual vacuum for young people in America that they're missing the love element. There's too much sex and not enough love. Or too much theoretical sex in the sense that it's very easy to get, but it doesn't come with any emotional attachment. 
again, I, I, I would love to sort of speculate on this, but I don't, I don't want to make it up because I also don't have that many young people in my life and especially not in America. Um, so I don't think that I can answer on that one without sort of wildly, wildly speculating. I mean, do you have lots of young people in your life? Is that, is that something that you've observed? Well, we certainly we've we've had a lot of young people on the show. I had a couple of uh, Cambridge University students, Maddie Anstruther and Anya Guerra, on the show, who've started a magazine for young people. Um, and I'm just curious. I mean, I've got kids; they don't talk to me about love. But um, uh, I'm curious whether um, I'm curious whether the the fashion, if you like, is changing. What about on the the gender side, um, Natasha? We had. Another English journalist, Marianne Sieghard, on the show, arguing, she's a former editor at the Times newspaper, arguing that men need to take women seriously, that there's an authority gap between men and women in the workplace and that women aren't taken as seriously. Do you think there's an authority gap when it comes to love? Or do you think that when it comes to love, perhaps the thing is reversed? Women take other women seriously, but not men. Have you noticed much of a difference between how men and women talk about love no and you know i think this is like something that i was guilty of when i first started interviewing people of maybe assuming because i'd grown up surrounded by more women that um you know on films and things we often see women longing for love and um pining over people and we don't often see the same of men so i didn't grow up with loads of examples of men being infatuated for example or being crazy over a crush and I have been completely um I have been completely surprised and proven wrong on that front that the more I interview men about this too the more I find asking them about the questions they they have that same longing and they can fall into the same trap of infatuation as us and it was interesting one of um one of the people I pointed out said this is why Nora Ephron's films are so brilliant because in When Harry Met Sally, you don't just see the women longing for love and, and pining. You see the men doing that too. And I, But I think that's quite a rare example. And it's certainly not something I grew up watching. So perhaps we need more popular culture that explores men longing for love in the same way that we've seen many women longing for love. My sense, and again, I'll probably get into trouble for saying this, is women tend to write about love in a more mature, coherent compelling way uh you uh i've had my old friend jeanette winterson on the show recently she has a wonderful new book out it's kind of about her love of technology it's called 12 bytes uh and i was intrigued that you began your book with a quote from jeanette she's a wonderful writer isn't it why did you choose those words uh, and i'm going to quote them actually because they're, they're wonderful yeah, um, and, I, and i'm quoting jeanette this is the introduction uh, this is the first um this is the inscription in your book the stories we sit up late to hear are love stories it seems that we cannot know enough about this riddle of our lives we go back and back to the same scenes the same words trying to scrape out the meaning nothing could be more familiar than love Nothing else eludes us so completely. That's classic Winterson, wonderful. Yes, and I, well, I included it because I also interviewed Jeanette um, for my conversations on newsletter. We had a long conversation about heartbreak and friendship and love. Um, but I think that that quote sort of captures everything that I have learned about 
love in, in the last five years and that I approached it thinking, I want to learn everything I can so that I can not make any mistakes in my relationships and I can be a great daughter and a great friend and I'll never say the wrong thing. And, and What about a mother? Well, yeah, and, and more recently a mother. Um, Are you, uh, you, you're a mother now? Yes, yes, I am. Um, so that there's a whole nother minefield in, in that. But where I've got to now is just rather than thinking that there's a magic set of answers that I can learn about love that can make everything easier. I just realized that however much I learn about love, it's always going to be a mystery. And however familiar it feels like there's still so much we don't know about ourselves and about another person. And that used to be terrifying to me. But now I think, well, that's what keeps love interesting. That's how you can be with someone for two decades and still find something new in the relationship. And now that is exciting more than it's scary. What about the love of other creatures? Uh, we had Stephen Kotler on the show, science fiction writer. He's imagining, kind of like Jeanette in a way, a post-human future in which we'll be able to fully empathize, not just with other creatures, but with the trees, for example. Do we, and we've had lots of shows on trees and, and, and learning to love nature again and the forests. Is loving other creatures, dogs, cats, um, loving trees, loving the environment, is that the same as loving other people, Natasha, or is it different? Yeah, well, I think it's it's all, those are all different forms of love. And I, I've certainly spoken to people like their love for their dog is the most rewarding relationship in their life. And, and losing that, that animal is a real sense of grief, of, of loss of that love that's, that's so intense. And I, I, I also think like love in nature, and lots of people like actually I've spoken to who've been through real periods of loss have, have felt very connected to nature in that time. And actually more than people, that was where they went to feel connected and to find love again. Um, so I definitely think, you know, certainly for animals and nature, like for the sea, for the, uh, you know, for, for, for anywhere that makes you feel, again, it comes back to that feeling of remembering that we're small pieces of a whole and, I think that's what exactly what nature does. It reminds us that we're part of something much bigger and actually that we're very small in the grand scheme of things. Um, and I know that I've loved dogs deeply and, and watch family members love dogs. And, and it's, you know, it's really like another space that you're practicing that giving of love. And, and maybe it's a bit like parenthood in the early stages when you're not getting conversation back but you you just keep giving and giving and and you do feel connection in a different way without even without words what about the role of religion um historically of course particularly in the christian tradition uh love was poured in to our quote-unquote love of god of the other mysteries of spirituality is this something that you think adds or undermines to contemporary love? I think that it is a very important source of love for different people. I think I've interviewed some people who don't see it as a form of love at all, but I have definitely interviewed people who faith is the most important form of love in their life above romantic love, um, above anything else. And I think, you know, with all these different types of love you're asking about, there is no ranking, there is no way that one kind of trumps or damages the other 
I think it just really depends on you as an individual where you choose to find connection and some people find that through faith and some people find it in a tree and some people find it in a pet and some people find it in a marriage um so I think like anything else faith can be you know one of the people who I interviewed in the book for her faith was it helped her to kind of always feel that love was accessible to her and that it was something that she could choose rather than something that she had to constantly be seeking. Yeah, I wonder with Jeanette, who's sort of built a literary career out of writing about her religious upbringing, her rebellion, whether she was able to rechannel that religious upbringing. I get the sense she has in some ways rechannel that religious upbringing into different ways of thinking about love. Mm, and and even, you know, so, some people move away from religion and, and find it more as a spiritual faith. I think people do seem to go on a journey with that kind of a, a, a questioning and, and then maybe choosing it for themselves rather than the way that they were raised or or even returning to it. But I think like any love, it's a process of, that's continually changing and something that you keep having to ask questions of. Um, and it's just not static. It's not something that you have and will always be the same forever. Jeanette uh, writes about AI and her 12 bytes. Sherry Turkle's an authority. Do you think that we can ever create uh, artificially intelligent machines, robots that can learn to love us as we love them? Um, Clara and the Sun is a, is a wonderful new novel uh, out about that subject. We are in the age, for better or worse, Natasha, of, um, of AI. How is that going to force us to rethink or rewire ourselves in terms of love? It scares me. It's, that's a scary question, I think. Um, I haven't read Clara and the Sun, but... I think you should. I think you'd find it very interesting, actually. Really? Yeah. I, I, I can't imagine... A pos that being possible or that being um, a way that we can find love but then I don't you know everything is unknowable and and who am I to say what things will look like in 20 30 years time but I think love is so individual and complex and nuanced and based so much on continuing to try and understand yourself with another person I, I personally at the moment can't imagine doing that with machinery, but, um, you know, things change all the time. Who knows? And that book, Clara and the Sun, is an investigation of that, a very mm. profound one. My favorite book on love is um, Love in the Time of Cholera, Ga Gabriel, Gabriel Garcia Marquez. Laura Kipnis, the American uh, essayist, cultural commentator, came out with a book called Love in the Time of Contagion, a diagnosis. She was on the show talking about how COVID has reshaped our conceptions of dating sex, but above all else, love. She writes in a very personal way about her relations with her significant other. Uh, your book is out now. You've lived through COVID. Has it had much of an impact or is it really a footnote in the history of love, Natasha? I think it had a real, really significant impact at the time. And I know... Um, you know, there was the people I spoke to seemed to be really divided into two camps. 
one of which was they spent too much time with their um, partners and family and kids or whatever really up close and felt like homeschooling and everything was just this, the stress of that and, and being so close to each other all the time was putting on a pressure. And then there's the other group of people who actually wanted more connection and, and struggled and were lonely and, and come out of it really seeking and craving that connection. And, and, and through both of those people I spoke to, it was kind of things like realizing the importance of friendship and wanting to really prioritize that coming out of it and, and making love a more active choice. But maybe I'm a little cynical about this, but I I think that sadly we come out with these good intentions and it's very easy for us to just slip back into our normal lives and let love slip down the priority list again. Um, so I think that it has had a complete impact in the short term, but it will be really interesting to see whether that lasts in the long term and whether we kind of keep wanting to put love first above working all hours or, or anything else that might knock it off our priority list. Maybe Natasha, yeah, Natasha Lan, if she has anything to do with it, love is always going to be our chosen conversation. Her new book, Conversations on Love, Lovers, Strangers, Parents, Friends, Endings, Beginnings, a wonderful um, series of conversations with many distinguished writers and therapists and other uh, individuals she's come across on love itself congratulations natasha on the book um what else should people be reading uh in april in spring 2022 about uh, love or other subjects that um you would advise well so a couple of books i've really enjoyed recently is one um is a book called foreverland by heather Havrileski, and it's about marriage and it's mm. a very honest look at the um challenges and rewards of a marriage and I found it to be very hopeful um, and very, very funny. And I think that... Anyone who can make marriage funny deserves exactly. to be read, I think. And I think few people have the courage to be really honest about their own marriage. It's a very, very brave thing to do. And she did it um, so beautifully. So I would definitely recommend that. And finally, Natasha Lan, author of Conversations on Love in late April 2022. Who runs the world? Who's in charge, Natasha? Is it love? I would say Mother Nature. 